0: Would you open your Bibles, please, to Exodus 19? Exodus 19. And we're, in a brief uh, period, we're looking at the concept of consecration. What does it mean? What are the themes about it? Uh, How does it matter? But we're doing that because... For one, our, our church in both campuses is stepping out in some pretty special ways. Um, in Wilmington, you have 8th eight, eight third, third Street, and here at Hokeson we have the facility expansion. So that was one reason. And then I thought in January, people, people are thoughtful about their lives, about how they're doing things and what the it's a time when people start new things. So I said, hey, let's talk about that. So let me begin this morning with uh, an illustration. It's, it's, has to do with navigating. There's something about, and I don't know the right term for it, but like circular geometry, I guess, might be a phrase. Um, There's 360 degrees in a circle. And one degree, we call this the rule of 60s when you're navigating. One degree, if you're one degree off and you go 60 miles away, you're one mile off. So one degree at 60 miles is a mile and you can do all the other things. So at 30 miles, it's half a mile. At 15 miles, half of that. <laughs> Quarter of a mile. Give me, some, give me a little bit of time. But you can, you know, so at 3 degrees, at 60 miles, is 3 miles. At 600 miles, is 30 miles. So when you're talking about navigating, something that can feel pretty inconsequential to you in the moment, if uncorrected, could, over a great distance... Uh, really frustrated scenario, become pretty frustrating and difficult. You could end up in the wrong town, something like that. And that has a lot of truth when we talk about how we start new things in life. When we step out in the Lord, I don't know if it's the rule of 60, but a a few couple degrees off in the beginning, over time, you could end up uh, straying from... God's purpose entirely. Or at least it could feel that way. You could look back and go, how did I end up here? I was about right when I started. And so I thought this morning very practically as we talk about consecration is the notion of how do we start well? How do we um, step out in the Lord well? Because here's the truth. If the Lord has any interest in what you're pursuing, whatever it is, if the Lord has an interest in the matter, then his... His interest is at the heart of the matter, regardless of what it is, whether you're considering being married or considering moving or selecting a major, choosing a college. You know, I always think people used to ask me, what do I want to be when I grew up? And I think a young person probably hears that, something like that. What college do you want to go to? As I play it back in my mind, you realize how self-oriented that question is. And if God has an interest in the matter, his interest is at the heart of the matter. And this morning, we're going to spend some time going, how do we uncover God's interest in the matter as we're stepping forward on something that we're pretty sure he's interested in? Uh, Okay. Let me give you a brief summary of last week because there are a couple things we need to know from last week to move forward. Last week, we talked very high level about consecration and we noticed something very unusual in the Bible. In the Old Testament, consecration shows up very discreetly with a lot of ceremony. And in the New Testament, after Christ, nothing, almost nothing, just traces of ceremony. So, it's, it's really jarring, actually, how different they are. And especially since there really doesn't seem to be a lot of oriented teaching about it. It just naturally seems to happen. Kind of connected to that is the high ceremony of consecration in the Old Testament. And when I say consecration, I'm talking about the word is built from some Greek ideas of, or Hebrew ideas of setting ourselves apart for the Lord of separating ourselves out for God, of devoting ourselves to the Lord. Those are the ideas of commissioning or ordaining ourselves for God. Those are the ideas in consecration. And in the Old Testament, there's a lot of ceremony. In the New Testament, not so much ceremony. And in the Old Testament, it's often connected to something that's very conditional, So you're consecrating yourself before the Lord, oftentimes beneath the cloud of, if you do this, then I'll do this. Whereas in our life in Christ, what we find is the themes of consecration exist, even if the ceremony doesn't. The themes are preserved, setting ourselves apart, devoting ourselves to God, separating ourselves out for God. All those themes are just as present in the New Testament, but it's less conditional. It's actually more consequential. It's since you have been, now go live a certain sort of way. Since you belong to the Lord now, it's not if you do this, it's since you now are gods, live a certain way. So it's a very significant difference. And so we're going to see some of these things today. You're going to see the high ceremony uh, in Exodus 19. You're going to hear the conditional statements in Exodus 19. And I'm gonna try to take some time to point out, hey, let's not get caught there. What I'm not trying to do is make you think that before something really important in your life happens, you need to get a ceremony just right. You don't need to do that. You need to get your heart right on the matter, right? God wants us, because one degree off is a mile off at 60 miles, right? We wanna be right with the Lord, on the matters of the heart. Okay, let's start in Exodus 19. I'll give you a little bit of background here. The book of Exodus is the story of God rescuing his people from Egypt. So he takes them across the Red Sea and he's going to bring them to the mountain of God, which is Exodus 19, where he will give them the 10 commandments and sort of enter into a formal relationship with his people. That's about to happen. And it's often missed, but it's about it's about the most terrifying moment for Israel in the whole Bible. It's a very fearful and dreadful experience for them. In fact, we won't read this far, but when God arrives, the dread of his presence is so great that Israel will beg the Lord never to do that again. They'll say, Well, do we want to be with you and we want to be we want to be in your covenant. But can you just talk to Moses? Just talk to Moses. Please never talk to us like that again. Because if you do, we'll die. That's what they say. So in Exodus 19 is them arriving at the mountain. <clears throat> Let me go ahead and read. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day... They came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel and may also believe you forever. Okay, a few things real quickly that are worth noting. First, in verse six, it's a great example of uh, the conditional nature that we find in the Old Testament. In verse five and six, let me just read verse five and six again. It says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, you hear the condition in that? If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, he goes on to say then or then's assumed you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples and you shall be to me in verse 6 a kingdom of priests now up here on the slide i have exodus 19 sitting right there and it as i just read it with sort of the conditional statements highlighted what i want you to notice is 1 peter chapter 2 peter's writing to followers of jesus note how they're very, very similar. In fact, Peter had to have in his mind been thinking of this moment. If you just look, it is, they are exactly the same themes except for the fact that it's no longer a conditional statement. It's a consequential statement. He doesn't say, if you. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of God. The notion is, I suppose we could say in Christ there is a condition if you follow Christ. But for those who are in Christ, we sit safe and sound sort of in the the consecration that Jesus has given us. We have been made holy through him. So that now, rather than sort of the nervous condition of if you get it right, then God will have something for you. Now it's, because of what Jesus has done for you, live in a way that exemplifies God. It's a really important difference. And this is, verse six is a, 5 and 6 is a great place to see it. The second thing I want us to note just in this introductory passage is verse 8. God's going to give the people these commandments. Moses goes and tells them, and they say, all that the Lord has said we will do. And they're going to do this throughout chapters 19 and 20 pretty frequently. All that the Lord says we'll do, oh, we'll do it. Which, if you know this story, it's painful to read. Because they don't. I mean, the story from Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is almost, you almost approach, they never, they never do what he says to do, they grumble. They rebel. They're frustrated. They're angry. They hate Moses. We don't know the exact time, but in a moment, Moses is going to go up in the mountain to get the Ten Commandments carved in stone and get some other commandments from the Lord, more ordinances about the covenant, and that sort of thing. So, about 43 days from now, okay, so he's going to be up there for 40 days. So they're, they're right now they're saying, all that the Lord has commanded we will do. Well, about 43 days from now, they're going to be so bored slash tired of waiting for Moses to come down. They're going to melt down their jewelry, make a golden calf, bow down to it, and celebrate with raucous revelry. 43 days from now. You know, you could be one degree off and 60 miles, you're a mile away. You could be 43 days from not looking at all like you set out to be with God. That's why it's important to set out well. Okay, let me read uh, about 9 through 15. 9b through 15, for those of you who are particular. This is what it says. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people and you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care Do not go near a woman. Let me clear up something real quickly. The do not go near a woman is not because a woman is bad or she has cooties. If you have a different translation of the Bible, it pretty much says don't lay with a woman or don't have sex during this period of time. He's saying abstain over the next several days. Right? The, the teaching is coming to the elders the, and their men. The teaching is coming through the men of the tribes and they're being instructed during this period of time, abstain. And what I want to do is, I don't want to translate the ceremony, okay? Apparently the ceremony didn't work. They don't last 43 days, okay? I don't want to translate the ceremony. I want to see the themes of consecration in the ceremony, recognizing the themes are what translates into our life in Christ, and try to internalize those. Try to say, that's... That's what our heart needs to be like. So let's just look very basically at what do we see in this section? The Lord says, go consecrate them. And he says a few things. He says, he gives them, the first thing he says is, take some time. Two days you have to consecrate. And on the third day I'm gonna come. There's some time given. Now I don't wanna press this too far. I don't wanna, I don't think there's any specific sort of time, but what is worth noting is this is not some sort of ordeal that's just gone into haphazardly or spontaneously or off the cuff. Rather, take some time to think about what I've said and I'll come. You know, if you were going to buy a car, it would be very unusual right as the dealer had closed the deal on you to say, you know what? How about you go home and sleep on this? They don't do that. Anytime, you know, in, in the moment, people always want to say and do the right things. The Lord says, Take some time. We're about to step out together. Right? They've said it. everything the Lord said will do. He says, Okay, well why don't you think about it for a few days? And in this time frame you're going to do some other things, right? But it's a period of time given. It's it's a sense of intentionality given. That's the first thing we see. Here's the second thing. Wash your garments. Wash your clothes. This is worth noting since they're living in a desert. They're not going to walk down to the river and clean. They're in the midst of a desert. They're in a water-scarce environment. They don't wash themselves. They don't bathe themselves. This is special. It's not like every day you take a shower, but on this day, take a shower as a consecration act like we would, rather you never shower. In fact, you ration water. But in this case, wash your clothes. It would stand out to them. And it represents, right, cleaning all the filth. It's just symbolic of cleaning sinfulness out, right? That's what the Lord's trying to get to them. That's the internal principle that the Lord's trying to evoke in us, is if we are going to step out into something that God has an interest in, then we want to know God's interest in it, right? If God has an interest in what you're doing, his interest really matters. Take some time. And in that time, as part of seeking the Lord, just the Lord's mind about it, purify your life, sanctify yourself, rid yourself, create a sensitivity, like seek a sensitivity before the Lord. of Where, how am I thinking wrong? How is sin clouding my judgment? I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, growing up, it was always a very autobiographical autobiograph- question. What do you want to do when you grow up? Where do you want to go to school? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? We sort of grow up in that. For us, self-interest, we should assume self-interest is always in front, that our knee-jerk reaction to every subject is self-interest, self-preservation, self-aggrandizement, self-reputation, right? That's usually, I would say for most people, what's at work? God is trying to get out in front of that. When I, I think just very practically of the building that we're going to do in Hokessen here, I will recognize, I've recognized my knee jerk. My knee jerk, once I get past all the, for me, I, f- I see work and, and problems. But once I get past that, if I can just think about the idea, my knee jerk is, it'll be nice be nice to have a parking lot I come in on the back door where the stairs are falling off the building you know the crumbling stairs it'll be nice not to have crumbling stairs those are my knee jerks and those aren't bad but that's not God's mind on the matter I mean I really can't think that the Lord's up in heaven saying we, I really just want to give them something nice they've worked hard let's just give them nice where in the word of God have we ever seen that God, if God has interest in this matter, then his interest is at the heart of the matter. And my sense is, when I stop and I get past my knee-jerk, non-evil in and of themselves sort of feels, but my, my self-centered comfort ideas, then I realize, right, we've been placed here to be a light in the community. This fellowship, this building is about to go from being unseen and largely nondescript to everyone notices when a build sign goes up. We're about to go to scene. What a great opportunity to expand the kingdom of God here, just like in Wilmington and 8th West 3rd Street. It's an opportunity to take a vacant space and to breathe life into it right near Del Tech, just to, to be present and alive and to be able to say things. God's interest in the matter rarely is in front of us. It's usually trailing behind us, trying to get a voice. Take some time. Cleanse yourself. Seek his mind on it. This is Acts chapter 13. I showed you this last week. It's coming up shortly. There it is. This is a great example of New Testament, sort of the themes of consecration, right? It's not, there's no ceremony here really to speak of. I mean, things are happening, but they're very earthy, very real. You really can't strip anything out of this without taking real meaning away. There's people that are fasting and praying before the Lord. The Holy Spirit says, separate apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have for them. Then I want you to know, then after fasting and praying, first of all, time is implied there. You can't, it doesn't count if you fasted for a minute. And if they fasted, it wasn't like they went, mm, that's long enough. Let's pray. So that after a, a time of fasting and praying, of getting God's mind in the matter, inviting him into the subject. Why? Because when we step out, whatever it is, whatever it is we're doing that God may have an interest in, when we step out, we want to be right on course with the Lord because 60 miles away, if you're just a little bit off, you're off. Let me say, I just want to take an aside real quickly, just a word or two about the idea of of cleansing of sin or being what you, I think, would think in your mind as holy. That's That's the way I learned it, is holy means to be pure. Holy means to be clean of sin. Holy means to be righteous. It's not what holy means. Holy means to be set apart. Now, In being set apart, as we see here in Exodus 19, consecration is the same word as holy. Set yourselves apart. Devote yourselves to God. Separate yourselves out for the Lord. All of those ideas are in this idea of being holy or consecrated to the Lord. In all of those ideas, right, we see inside of it there is a cleansing of sin. Wash your clothes. So it's a part of it, but that's not what it is. Setting yourself apart is, an, is a greater idea than simply not having sin in your life. What I'm saying is, is, if a Christian, if a follower of Jesus devotes all of their time and energy simply to rooting out sin in their life without embracing any sense of purpose that God might have for them, Purposeless holiness doesn't have much of a home. God intends for you to do something. Most of you already have your hands full with what you're doing. God intends for you to have real life full of verbs, full of action, full of doing. You are doing the kingdom of God. Think of Israel. Israel is about to leave the mountain. In fact, God's going to say to them after they enter into a covenant, okay, I need you to make me a house so I can go with you, a mobile home, a tent, because we're going somewhere and we're going to do something. We're not going to sit at the mountain and be pure. That's not the point of the Christian life. The point of the Christian life is to set yourself apart for God's will. His purpose, and part of that is found in purity. But it's purposeful. And Israel's gonna go, they're gonna walk through deserts, they're gonna lean on the Lord for food and water, they're gonna arrive, they're gonna conquer kingdoms. I mean, they're gonna be drawing swords and striking people down. They're gonna be planting vineyards and growing plants and building houses and tearing down strongholds. And going through walls, they're going to be doing all sorts of really active, life-filled things. That's what we're being set apart for. Real life. The things that you're doing is what God cares about. And a part of that is, if you want to do it well, and if you want God's mind in the matter, before you step out in them, pause, examine your life. Go. We've had a lot of children born lately. Lots of children. It's a great moment of thinking about this. You, so you're stepping out, right? Life's changing to those of you. Even if it's, you've already had one, right? it just keeps changing until you get more than three and then it's copy, paste. But um, I'll say this to older parents. Don't you wish you'd have been a little bit more careful about how you would set out as a parent in raising your children? Maybe just a little. Don't you think, don't you wish you might have had the wisdom eons ago, for me 18 years ago, with my wife to settle down and think what do i want this young man to be i mean it's be very unusual for parents with kids growing not to have some pangs of regret on i wish i was without so much sin i wish i had shown i mean i wish i had been more pure as a dad i wish i had conquered that before i brought boys in the world and girls in the world i wish i had been more patient i wish we all have these, don't we? Before they come. Because once you're off and running, you're off and running, right? You've you got to fight. You've got to fight to adjust one degree once you're moving. Start well. That's what he has for us. Start well. All right, there's one other thing he says here. He says, oh, yeah, another thing. Um, Don't have sex. That's the very end, that's verse 15. And he said to the people, this is Moses, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Now, is he saying that because sex is bad? No. Is it sinful? No. God made it. He doesn't say all the time he doesn't say that. So why is he saying it here? I think it's because when you're in a season where you're devoting yourself to the Lord, special seasons, okay, where you're you're about to step and you really want God's heart and mind on the matter, he may want to be the devotion. Devotion and intimacy are pretty close. They're close concepts. In other words, in a case like this, like this moment where the Lord himself is about to visit I mean, the next time this is going to happen is when Jesus returns, essentially. I mean, the next time it's this amazing. That's going to be a dreadful moment. Fill your life up with the devotion to God. I think that's what's at work here. In other words, there are plenty of good things in life that could be distractions when you're trying to set yourself apart for God. They're not bad things. They could be God-ordained wonderful good things. It's just... Maybe it's out of place right now. And I can certainly see that in 1 Corinthians 7. We actually see a teaching from Paul on this matter, right? Paul's talking about our sexuality between a husband and a wife. Okay, and sex is just a great example of good distractions. So there could be other ones, but just for the principle, Paul's talking about sexuality between a father, a husband, and a wife. And he says, hey, your body's not yours. Likewise, your body's not yours. Don't Don't withhold yourself from from your spouse. You belong to them. So it's a good teaching. It's a good teaching on godly sexuality and sort of the joy and intimacy that, that a husband and wife are to give to one another. We're to be givers, not takers. To give to one another. Don't withhold yourself. But then he goes on to say, except for a time when by mutual consent, you set yourself apart for prayer and fasting. Do you see that? It's like a consecrating moment. It's the themes of consecration showing up in the New Testament. In other words, when you have a heart yearning for the Lord, longing to know what God's will is, when your life's filled up with that, sometimes you put a few good things aside, like fasting, okay? You put things that God intends for you to regularly have aside so that you can have a diet Or an intimacy with God. That's the intent here. It's very natural. It may feel, I imagine, to the one million men that may be there, it may feel unnatural to many of them because this is ceremony. And it fails them. I can understand somebody who's not really connected to God calling them into something. Well, Why do I have to give that up? Why would I fast? Well, if you don't understand why you would fast, then you shouldn't. We don't meet God in ceremony. We meet him in the heart. There's some great examples in scripture. The best example I can think of on this particular issue, and I think sex is such a good example because it's such an intimate sort of, how dare he have me give that up thing. And I'm speaking for the guys in the room at least. What I see is in uh, the story of David and Bathsheba, Okay, King David, now he's supposed to be off to battle. That's what it says in the Bible. It says, in the time when kings go to war, David was sitting in his castle, and he looks down the hill, because David's castle is on the hill, and he looks down the hill and he sees on the roof of a house down there, a really beautiful woman bathing. And David, who should have been fighting God's battles, but was home in his castle, thinks to himself, I think I want her. And so he sends for her, and her name is Bathsheba. Now Bathsheba goes to him and lays with him and becomes pregnant. And the problem is, among others, is that Bathsheba is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And Uriah the Hittite's out of town. He's on the front lines fighting God's battles, where David should be. So David lays with Bathsheba, And in God's way, she becomes pregnant. So David thinks to himself and he gets this bright idea, he says, You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna have Uriah the Hittite come home on some R and R. I don't know, I'll think up something, some stupid question to ask him about the army. I'll bring him home, and then when he's home and we'll see Bathsheba and you know lay together, next thing you know, no one will know the difference. It'll all be mollified. So he does that. He says, Uriah, comes home, comes home from battle. David says, Uriah, it's great. Welcome home from battle. It's good to see you. You know, and he asks a question like, oh, yeah, and how many arrows do we have? Okay, good, good. Now, Uriah, you've worked hard. Go, go to your wife. Go enjoy yourself. Kick back. Relax. You've earned it. Uriah. Uriah goes home. There's Bathsheba waiting for him. Does he sleep with her? Those of you who know the story? No. He can't. You know why he can't sleep with her? Because his men are on the front lines living and dying. That's why he can't. Because his heart is in the battlefield. This is a great natural example of someone who's whose heart is is where it needs to be, and it makes another perfectly good distraction out of place. He says, how can I do that? When we set ourselves apart for the Lord, we take some time. And in our time we take, we. it's an opportunity to... Lord, give me your mind and your eyes on things because if you have any interest in this matter, then your interest is at the heart of it. Lord, so give me your mind. Help me to understand your will. Help me. I know that my own self-interest is almost always in front and your, your interest in the matter is trailing behind, Lord. So help me just to kind of kill that spirit and see how you want, how you want me to set out here, how you want me to move forward here, how you want me to, to be in this because I don't want to be five degrees off right from the start. I don't want to be 10 degrees off. I want to be right where you are, Lord. And during that period of time, it's it's just right. If it matters to you, it'll make sense to you to just at the exclusion of plenty of good distractions to push those things away so you can hear God. That's the heart of consecration. If we're going to do something that God cares about, We want to do it the way he cares. Because ultimately, if he cares about what you're doing, ultimately making his name great in it is what matters. So we don't just want to head out. Particularly when we bear the name of Christ. I mean, that's the peculiarity. In the Old Testament, they had the burden of conditions, right? If you do this, then I'll do this. In our lives in Christ, it's a different sort of burden. The burden is this. You are already one of God's. He's done it. Now, therefore, magnify his excellencies everywhere you go. There's a burden in that. Do you feel it? Of when I go out, I am God's child. Lord, may my path be his path. May I step the way he would step. May I say what he would say. And there's just occasional times in life where it's worth pausing, right? We don't, maybe we don't need to do that when we take out the trash, but when we fit out Third Street, when 70-some people in Wilmington, when you fit out Third Street, it's probably a time to set yourself aside. Here in Hokesson, when we spend four and a half million dollars to fit this facility out, it's probably a time to make sure that we're we're going into this the right way. Because it's God's kingdom he's trying to make great here, not our comfort. Allow me to pray. I first, in prayer, just want to reach out to those of you who... maybe outside of the Lord right now or outside the story of Jesus. Just with the, you know, with our heads bowed, I I just want to repeat. There's no ceremony. You will not be ceremonially invited into the kingdom and that's good news. You don't have to get something just right. Nor are there these massive conditions. The word prohibits me from assigning you a great task to do to be worthy of God God's love has offered you salvation and so in Christ we can stand up in his acceptance we can be acceptable to him and useful to his purpose and that's Lord that's where we come to you to pray I pray that for all of us here, whether we're far or near, that we might be drawn to your purpose and your will and your kingdom. I pray, Lord, in particular for those here who are entering new phases of life or starting something new, that that they might just draw from your word the wisdom of taking time and separating themselves out to hear you, get your heart and mind on the matter. Lord, for the great, the great and large things that our church is embracing. On Third Street in the city, on Schoolhouse Road here, we do ask <clears throat> that you'd help us put our self-interest behind us. You would mature us, Lord, to see the ways of wrong thinking that often inhabit our minds. pray, Lord, you'd make us one here so we can step out well. We pray all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.